We can't breathe. We Win presents the Winner's Circle podcast series, We Can't Breathe. The Rally for Justice, discussing the recent killings of African Americans at the hands of law enforcement and what we have to do from a holistic perspective to take action and invoke change. Here at the Winner's Circle, the conversations are different. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes much more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Nelson Mandela Nicholas Hayward was shot and killed by a police officer while playing cops and robbers with his friends in Gowanus. His last words were, we're playing. Tamir Rice was shot and killed by a police officer while playing in a Cleveland park. The cop fired less than two seconds after arriving on the scene. Tyree King was shot multiple times and killed by a police officer when they believed that he matched the description for a robber in the neighborhood. He was 5 feet tall and weighed less than 100 pounds. The robber being investigated had stolen $10. Ayanla Stanley Jones was shot and killed by a police officer. When, while investigating a local shooting, they bust into her home without warning and fired within seconds. She was sleeping. She was 7 years old. And the entire thing was getting filmed for a true TV, true crime TV show. Trayvon Martin was shot and killed by a neighborhood watch volunteer while walking home. The shooter claimed to act in self-defense. Martin was holding a bag of Skittles and an Arizona iced tea. Cameron Tillman was shot and killed by a police officer while hanging out with his friends in an abandoned house with the owner's consent. He was alive for at least 45 minutes. The officers offered no medical assistance. Jordan Edwards was shot and killed by a police officer in the passenger seat of a car while leaving a party. The car was driving away from the cops and the officer fired inside the car under the grounds that the car had backed up towards him in an aggressive manner. Kawani Carrington was shot and killed by a police officer outside of a house in broad daylight while the cop was investigating a suspect break-in, a suspected break-in. Carrington was known to the house's owner and welcomed there. Laquan McDonald was shot and killed by a police officer while under investigation for slashing a squad car's tires. He was shot 16 times while walking away from the officer. Deontay Farrell was shot and killed by a police officer while walking in the park. The officer claimed Farrell had a toy gun while witnesses claimed he was holding a bag of chips. All children, all unarmed, 
Black Lives Matter. So this week we are in series um, episode two of the Rally for Justice, We Can't Breathe. This week we will be discussing the recent killings of African Americans at the hands of police officers and what we have to do from the standpoint of community and what spiritual leaders can do to take action. This week, my guest is Elder Jason Dawson. Jason Dawson is a great friend of mine. I've known him for quite some time. We work together in ministry. Pastor Jason Dawson is married to Mrs. Danae Dawson, and he is the father of Caleb Dawson. Pastor Dawson accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior at the age of 10 at the Mount Carmel Ministry Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio, under the pastorate of Reverend D.D. Chestang. Pastor Dawson realized and accepted his call into ministry in 2005, where he then became a licensed minister of the gospel in 2008. Pastor Dawson has served the kingdom of God as a Christian education ministry leader, and he's currently a youth pastor in Austell, Georgia, where he leads a congregation of youth comprised of middle school and high school students. In 2005, Pastor Dawson founded BGB, Brothers Giving Back, with the mission statement of empowering today's youth to be tomorrow's leaders. Pastor Dawson holds a bachelor's degree in sociology from Clark Atlanta University and an MBA in business management from Strayer University. His prayer is that his, is that his prayer is that the word he t- preaches and the actions he displays will always give honor to God and inspire the lost to seek God's presence. What's up, winners? It's your girl, Tab Manning, and we are back at We Win Presents, the Winner's Circle podcast. Uh, We are here in episode two of We Can't Breathe. Um, Of course, you all know that the topic is the rally for justice, and we are discussing the recent killings of African-Americans at the the hands of law, law enforcement and what we can do from the standpoint of community and spiritual leaders to take action. Um, this week, I have a great friend of mine that's going to join us for this podcast. Um, he and I work shoulder to shoulder in ministry. Um, I consider him my big brother. Uh, we both had a love for youth ministry and for just sharing God and, you know, um, sharing the word with the youth, um, being that um, young adults, teenagers, middle school kids. Um, but he's just a great person overall. And um, I am blessed and thankful to have him on our show today. Um, So winners, please uh, give a good listening ear today because he's definitely going to educate us and empower us. My brother and my friend, Elder Jason Dawson. Jason, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excited about being here. I definitely want to say thank you for the invitation and the uh, platform um, for you reaching out to me. Um, God is uh, definitely still in the blessing business. And uh, I'm delighted to be sharing with you guys today. I just want to thank you for accepting the invitation and for being <laughs> here with us. Um, you know, as I sat and thought about people 
that I would like to, you know, chop it up with and, you know, just engage with, I immediately thought of you. I was like, you know, Jason gonna keep it real. Um, <laughs> but not just keep it real, you know, I felt, I really feel that it's important for us because I think that in this movement, as I shared in my earlier podcast about this, is that this movement is really going to go forth, I believe, by the youth. I believe that they're gonna have a huge impact on this cultural shift that's getting ready to happen definitely and um and i think that you know um it's going to be them and so i feel like we need to do our part in of course being there for them supporting them leading them guiding them and offering up our knowledge and our wisdom um and and them not just feeling like they out here on their own or they're doing it by themselves definitely definitely um, I, I agree with you. I, I think this this movement that's going on right now, um, even as you turn on your TV screen, uh, one thing that, that jumps out to me is one diversity. Uh, you know, we, we have a lot of diversity that's protesting. And then two um, is the 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 age that's out there. These young people are radical. Um, they are they're fed up. Um, they're not going at things uh, in a traditional manner, which some, you know, may look at and be like, ah, they just out of control. Um, but I applaud them um, because they're not waiting for uh, some systematic right or wrong way to protest. Uh, they're going out and saying, hey, by any means necessary, I want my I want my voice to be heard. And so to your point, I believe that we're dealing with a new generation out here. Uh, that wants change and they want it now um, and they're not going to settle for later on. Um, so I salute um, all of our people out here who is uh, making their voice heard um, and demanding a change. Absolutely. Um, it's funny because I had to do a, um, I had to uh, do a short video for a friend of mine today mm-hmm. and she, um, you know, she wanted me to share some thoughts about, you know, the protests and, you know, what's happening right now and, you know, just the the, the social crisis that, you know, the state of our country is in at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I pulled a quote from John F. Kennedy, um, and I think that it sums up what you just said perfectly, because his quote said that those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. Wow. And... I think that that, you know, that is so poignant as to what's happening right now, because I think that since, you know, Rodney King, you and I are about the same age. So Mm -hmm. we remember Rodney King. That was 30 years ago, which means we were like 10, 11 years old when that happened. And I remember seeing on television, you know, Watts burning down, you know, Mm -hmm. seeing the city and all of that stuff happening. And I remember that. And so then I have not seen the movement that's been as I guess violent or as um, as strong as that you know we definitely have still had our fair share of African Americans being killed since then um, right. a significant amount since Rodney King back in 30 years ago mm-hmm. um, our manner I don't, I'm not going to say that we weren't as angry because we, we were still angry we were still mad but you know, we tried to go the, the peaceful route. We tried to protest, we tried to march, we tried to do all of those things. And you know, I feel like they kind of fell on deaf ears. Right. And so to your point, you know, this this generation now was like, we're not doing that. Right. We heard about our grandparents marching. We heard about, you know, our parents getting out here and protesting and that didn't work. So we're going back to what happened in Watts 30 years ago 
with burning down stuff and making our you know making our presence known that we're here and we're not going to deal with this anymore right um and and not to not to cut you off but i I think two things is is prevalent for for individuals to understand uh regarding the civil rights movement and where we're currently at as well as rodney king uh, the Rodney King situation um, was publicized on our televisions, um, but was what was interesting in that is that the riots took place in a centralized location um, of Los Angeles. It was pretty much limited to there. Uh, you didn't see this nationwide um, uproar the way that you did in, in LA, um, in particular in California. And all of what we saw in LA uh, was a was a boiling pot of police brutality, specifically yes. um, in the lower income communities surrounding uh, Los Angeles. So uh, to the rest of the world, it seemed like it was it was only about Rodney King, but it wasn't. Um, it was exactly. it was about the systematic racism that was taking place. Um, within the LA Police Department. Um, and so that one was kind of centralized. I think what we're seeing now um, is a national issue um, with police departments across our country, um, as well as systematic racism um, and racial profiling for African-American men um, and women. And so uh, much like the, and the reason I brought up the civil rights movement was because it wasn't until the civil rights movement was televised and the rest of the country was able to see uh, dogs and water holes being unleashed on women and children of color. It wasn't until that, until the rest of the nation said, oh, whoa, hold on, time out. Uh, we, 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 we've been silent for too long um, and we weren't, we weren't prepared for this. Um, you know, prejudice was accepted, but in the same breath, it wasn't until it was visual, um, until it began to get the attention that it need to move the dial uh, with our white brothers and sisters. Uh, so I think that's very important to understand as we compare the two different movements, um, that the, the ability to visualize in today's society, we have social media, uh, we have cell phones with cameras on it. So everything is very visual. Um, and I think that's been uh, to the advantage of the movement that's taking place right now. Yes, 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 yes. Because when you think about it, how often or how many times has things transpired that were never filmed, never recorded and never seen, so nothing was ever done about it. Exactly. However, now, to your point, we're seeing that once the spotlight is on and once it's been exposed and once it's been seen, that's when movement happens, right? Mm-hmm. So even with Ahmaud Aubrey, I mean, that young man had been killed in February. Right. Yet it wasn't until the video went viral and that the, the world was able to see that things started to happen. And so I believe that that's what's happening right now is that, like you said, the nation is, you know, at a boiling point because... This was this is not an isolated incident. This is not just something that's happening in LA. Right. You know, this systemic um, racism or p- police brutality or use of force, mm-hmm. it's not just happening in one state. And so now we're seeing riots and protests in DC, 
in Minneapolis, in LA, right. in Atlanta. We're seeing it everywhere because I believe that we're to a point where everyone is fed up. Right. And I think about, you know, three or four years ago, I think it's been three years now, I can't remember, but you know, when Colin Kaepernick simply tried to take a knee mm-hmm. to bring attention to this. Right. Right? Right. You know, it wasn't it wasn't enough at that point. You know, they still didn't want to listen. They still didn't want to pay attention. They told him that he was disrespecting the flag and, you know, he was being disrespectful to his country. Mm-hmm. He was trying to bring awareness to where we are now, to what's happening right now. Right. So. Right, definitely. So we're here now. Mm-hmm. Um, we are about maybe, what, two weeks in, I think, um, since the protests have begun. Mm-hmm. Um, about two weeks since our brother um, George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Right. Um, and so, you know, my question is, and the reason, like I said, the reason that I'm even having these conversations um, is because I understand that this is this is a problem that does not have just one specific solution. We can't just point the blame at one person. Um, but rather it's going to be a series of conversations and a series of movements that have to transpire in order for things to get better. Um, you know, from a political standpoint, um, I, I interviewed local politicians Mm -hmm. and we discussed what we need to do in our communities to affect change. Right. Um, we talked about the importance of getting out and voting. And, and not just the high-level elections, but it starts with the low-level elections. It starts with knowing who our DAs are, mm-hmm. knowing who our prosecutors are, knowing who our sheriffs are, um, and, you know, seeing how these people, you know, what they're doing and how they're acting and, and how they are, um, how they're working. And if they're not doing what it is that we need them to do, then we, we need to vote them out. Right. But it starts with us because our city council members and our, you know, our congressmen and our state representatives, they all represent us. And so it's important that we put the pressure on them to affect change in Washington. If we want law enforcement reform, if we want um, social justice reform, if we want hate crime legislation and things of that nature, it's on us to put the pressure on them to make those changes, to speak up for us in Washington. Right. No, and, and I agree and with so, that. Um, we, we definitely um, have to one vote um, but two and I think this is the part and I, I, I had a, a uh, conversation the other day with some other members of clergy um, and we were just talking and, I, and I'm going to be very candid and transparent um, while we were discussing on this conference um, I made the statement uh, stop telling me to go out and vote and what I meant by that and I want to be very clear is that I'm, I'm a firm believer in voting I do vote I've voted ever since I was 18 years old and had the right to vote um, but I believe that we're at a pinnacle point where we also have to put action behind that vote meaning once you vote you have to hold your elected officials accountable there has to come yes. with works it cannot be yes. hey I voted and dag on it the chips fall where they fall right you know I think you know and, and this is this is this is my heart it, it is the same disparity that uh and when i use the word church i don't want uh listeners to think that i'm saying a specific church meaning a building but the systematic church of the body of believers 
uh, we have been guilty of telling individuals to pray and then we send them away. Um, mm. Prayer, the Bible teaches prayer without works is dead. What, what that text yeah. means is that after you pray, there are works that you have to go and do. You have to put your faith into motion in efforts to get the things that you desire from God. Um, the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You have to go and pray and work. They go hand in hand. Same way with same thing with voting. Uh, we as uh, as black people have been guilty of just telling individuals to vote. And so when we go out and vote and we don't get the results that we looked for, we don't offer an alternative solution to just voting. And that is where we have failed the black community because we have a generation out here now that does not believe in voting. They don't believe in it because the system, we have not educated them, okay, post voting, here's what you do to make sure those that you voted for and the ones that you didn't vote for are accountable for their actions. Um, and so I wanna be clear, yes, go out and vote. It's very important to vote. It's very important to exercise a right that 50 years ago we didn't have. Uh, so make sure that we go out and vote. But that's not where the buck stops. You can't just stop at voting. Uh, one of the things that frustrates the, the living life out of me is how election times, churches, black and white, uh, will have politicians come into their pulpit um, and, and oh, speak, yeah. behalf, speak on behalf of their campaign in efforts to get those congregants to follow uh, their, their leadership and to go out and vote in that direction. But then the other 365 days of the year, we don't see them. Um, we don't that see is a problem. <laughs> um, to me, that is what yes. you call prostitution. Uh, you're pimping, you're pimping yes. me out um, for specific calls um, that's only beneficial to you. But then when I have an issue and it's time for me to invite you back to my congregation um, and stand before them and give an account on your behavior and your actions, um, I cannot find you. That is a problem. Um, and that is where uh, that works come back into play. Hold your public officials accountable for the things that they stood before you and said that they were gonna do on your behalf to make sure that they're accountable. It's no different than our jobs. Um, I have a full-time job in corporate America. If I do not perform my job, uh, there is a check-in. Uh, some of us is, is annual, some of us is every three months. Uh, whatever that is, whoever you report to should be checking in with you to make sure that you are doing your job correctly. And if you are not, they, a good leader will give you some corrective actions uh, and a timeline for you to get them in order. Uh, those, those are the same principles that we need to apply for our public uh, elected officials. I could not have said it better myself. You know, I just had this conversation uh, with some friends of mine as we were, you know, we were having discussions about the political process as well. And that was almost my response verbatim is that, you know, it, it doesn't end right. with the vote. Just like it doesn't end exactly. with the protest. You know, it, it's not protest or vote. It's not, you know, vote or, you know, it, it's about an end. It's going to take more than one thing for to invoke change. And to your point, after the after we voted, you know, we need to hold these people accountable. They work for us. Right. <laughs> right. I don't think 
that we understand that and I don't think that they understand that sometimes and you know they have these cushy positions some of these are incumbents that have been in office for years mm-hmm. and they don't do anything to help better the community that they are elected to serve and so to your point we need to start going to these city council meetings Mm -hmm. we need to start sitting in and we need to start saying hey you know something we don't like what's happening in our community we don't like what's happening in our neighborhood and if you don't fix this we're going to vote you out of here exactly and that's that's our due diligence that's what we have to do because you know if there's a sheriff that we know you know in in um you know within a position and we know that they're using you know um racial profiling or mm-hmm. different things of that nature we need to get that sheriff out exactly like, that, like, that's it we have the power to do that and to your point yes the younger people they have an issue with voting because they're like we vote but nothing changes exactly but that's because we're not holding them accountable exactly so, you know, I've had conversations with my children about voting, and it's funny because I was saying the other day, I said, you know, when I started voting, no one really explained to me the process or how it worked. They mm-hmm. just told me vote, dem- vote Democrat, go in and vote everything Democrat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I first took my son to vote, I pretty much told him the same thing: when you go in, vote everyone Democrat. But quite honestly. If there's some a Democrat that's in our local, you know, in our local system that's an incumbent, if they're not doing what they're supposed to do, they need to go. They gotta go. Regardless of what they are, Republican, Democrat, whatever, the Green Party, I don't care. They need to go. Exactly. But, um, I don't want to get too far into that. Yeah. That was kind of like my segue into what we're discussing, but I think that it all ties in. Yeah, right. Um, you know, when, like you said, when politicians come to the church, you know, they're coming to get votes right. and then you never see them again you never see them in the community again and that's a problem don't just come to my church because you want my vote right you know you need to come here i need to see you serving i need to see you volunteering i need to see you in the neighborhood i need to see you in the community right because you want to work for this community you want to represent this community so you should be a part of this community right so hands down um that was like the perfect scripture to even use to illustrate that that faith without works is that we have to put work along with our prayers prayer is not enough amen (laughs) (laughs) all right so as we jump into these questions that i have for you Uh um we'll first talk about um i would like to just you know from from your perspective from your heart because um i know how i feel as a black woman Mm -hmm. seeing my seeing my black men being gunned down seeing my sisters and brothers being gunned down i mean sandra bland still i mean i can't get this woman's face out of my mind right um you know and and countless others you know most recently brianna taylor who just had a birthday right or should have had a birthday um but for you um as an african-american man in this country Mm -hmm. you know what are your thoughts how are you feeling right now because i think that sometimes we don't take a moment to really acknowledge and to address how we're feeling mm-hmm. about this we're seeing this stuff happen on television day after day almost to the point where one can become numb mm-hmm. to it or you know it, it almost becomes to a, a, a place where you just don't even i'm not gonna say feel anymore because we still feel it but it's like they're almost making it so that it becomes the normal for us like oh right you know right it's, it's just another black man that's been killed and, and i don't think i can ever get used to that i don't think i can ever 
become so comfortable that it, it just becomes oh well another one of us are going right so in your own words can you just tell us like how you're feeling and how you're processing um what's happening right now so uh, uh, and i think you hit it on the head uh, i have almost come uh numb um but i'm, I'm gonna be transparent uh, with your listeners uh today and share with you what really uh crushed my heart um Last Friday was my son's eighth birthday. Um, And due to social distancing, uh, we weren't able to throw a big party and invite friends and family over uh, and hang out. So it was really just me, my wife and my son here. Uh, We ordered pizza um, and my wife had cupcakes um, to celebrate his birthday. And so as we're sitting at the, the dinner table, we had just finished our pizza and we're about to enjoy cupcakes. We turn on the TV. Um, and CNN is on and it is showing um, the, the, the protesting, I don't want to use the word rioting, but the protesting that was taking place um, last, excuse me, last Friday. Um, and my, my son, who, who is eight, um, loves sports um, and he loves, believe it or not, he loves architect. Um, he likes to build things. Um, so two things that he is extremely passionate about. He's an avid Atlanta Hawks fan um, and he's looking at the TV and the news pans to the State Farm Arena and the CNN Center um, and it is vandalized. Um, and as I look over at my son, there's tears coming down his face um, and he asks me the question, Daddy, uh, why are they doing this? Uh, why are they tearing up State Farm Arena, the CNN Center? Uh, why are the police out there? And why are these people so angry? And as a dad, uh, forget the fact that um, I'm an elder at my church. Forget the fact that I'm a manager at my job. Uh, forget the fact that I'm a husband. Uh, forget the fact that I'm a son. Forget the fact that I'm a black man in America. But as a father, Um, I had to sit down and have a conversation with my eight-year-old son uh, that I dreaded to have with him at such a young age about racism in America. Um, So for me, I'm 41 years old. Um, I've I've endured racism. Um, I've endured racial profiling by the cops uh, since the age of 16. Uh, I I know what it's like to be pulled over, uh, pulled out of my car, um, searched my entire vehicle, um, dogs brought out. I, I, I've lived, I've endured that. Um, but my heart bleeds for my son and the next generation um, because, you know, it, enough is enough. Um, that I, I want him to live in a different world uh, than which uh, I lived in. No pun intended, but please send your kids to HBCUs if you can. Uh, <laughs> just, just, just thought I'd put that plug in there. Um, shameless plug, right, shameless right. plug. <laughs> my, my heart just bled um, for him because they were genuine tears of not understanding, which goes back to a firm thing that I believe that that racism and prejudice is not something that you you just you you're born with. It is taught. It is a taught behavior, um, and our society has been guilty um, of teaching it um, uh, openly. And systematically, um, the things that we don't teach in our, our public schools and our private schools um, about black history and the significance uh, that black people had on this country, 
um, it, that's a, that's a form of racism to me. Um, and so uh, my heart bleeds uh, for our community, um, but I, my heart also rejoices uh, that our community is standing up in these times to do something about it. Wow. Um, thank you for sharing that and for opening your heart and for being transparent. Um, because just as you said, you know, your son is eight years old. Um, my son is 20 mm-hmm. years old. And, you know, I was just on a call with, um, with my job. Um, we had an actual town hall to discuss. This. Wow. Um, yeah, we had a town hall um, over at Coke and we discussed, you know, just all of mm-hmm. this. And we talked about the difference of when parents have the talk mm-hmm. with their with their sons. And so the white talk is different mm-hmm. from the black mm-hmm. talk. When they think of the talk, when you say, have you had the talk with your child or the talk with your mm-hmm. son? They said in the white household, that means to talk about the birds and the right. bees. But in the black household, the talk is how to act if you ever get pulled over by a police officer as a black person. Right. Or, you know, how to conduct yourself, you know, if a police officer ever approaches you. What to say, what to do, what not to say, what not to do. And so, you know, I'm sure that that's not a conversation that you ever wish to have with Caleb, but it might be one that you have to have with right. Caleb. You know, because of the color of his skin and because of the, the country that we live right. in. Um, so I thank you for sharing that and I, I can't imagine, you know, um, how he must feel because like you said, you know, all, all you see is chaos and you're too young to even fathom or understand why this is right. Happening. It doesn't make sense right. to you. Right. <laughs> and it shouldn't make uh-huh. sense to you. And it shouldn't <laughs> make sense to you. Um, I saw people, I saw a little girl at the age of about six or seven. I'm not sure if you saw her on social media, but she was marching in this protest and she probably was about the same age mm-hmm. as Caleb. And the passion and the, the anger and the frustration in her little voice but she was marching for some family. I don't know who she was marching for, but this woman had this, this little girl had the spirit of a grown woman. And on one hand, it's like you applaud and you're like, wow, this is awesome to see this little girl out here protesting. But on the other hand, it breaks your heart because she should only have to focus on playing exactly. with her dolls and learning about what's happening exactly. in school. Not out here protesting because her uncles and her fathers and her brothers are being- Amen, exactly, exactly. So, switching gears for mm-hmm. a moment, um, because we've talked about the church, and I know we're going to get more into that. And again, listeners, when we speak of the church, we're not speaking of a building, but we're speaking of a body of believers, because we are the church. It is not the building, but we are the church, the followers of Christ, those who believe in Jesus Christ. We are Amen. the church. And so, as a believer... How are you able to process this and, and how are you able to make sense of this? Um, as a believer, um, it is very consistent with God's word, to be completely honest. Uh, if From the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, there are the oppressed and the oppressors. Um, and so, you know, nothing in the Bible states, nothing is new underneath the sun. Um 
what is interesting though is how the church reacts amen um it it, 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 it is not that the injustice has taken place uh for jesus taught us hey look you always have the, the oppressed will always be with you um his his whole ministry was designed around what do you do for those who are oppressed um yes we want to preach the name of jesus um yes we 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 want to glorify magnify his name uh yes the devil is defeated foe uh, but while you're here on this earth there are obstacles that you're gonna run into um, and that is a, a, a test of your faith to say, what are you going to do about it? You know, when, when you find Jesus throughout the text, um, you rarely find him in a synagogue or in a church building. Um, he is out interacting uh, with those who, who many would, would choose to say uh, were the poor, um, the less privileged, um, though the outcast. Uh, that's where he was at. And so when you talk about protesting, when you talk about revolution, uh, to me, you can't talk about revolution without talking about Christ. Um, he, he, they are one in the same um, for, for man to have all power in his hand to endure the cross, um, to go against the norm, uh, to go against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, to go against the Roman government. Um, I don't know how you can usher in uh, to say that we're going to protest without acknowledging uh, Christ. Um, I honestly believe uh, that everything underneath the sun is happening for a reason. Um, I believe that we're in a very critical season um, as believers, as as the body of believers, um, that uh, the Bible says, James says, count it all joy when you find yourself in various trials and tribulations. Uh, for the far, for the trying of your faith, work of patience. Uh, let patience have her perfect works. Um, I think you know our first wave was this pandemic, and it shifted the atmosphere of church. Um, we we went from congregating in a building to now trying to stay connected through social media platforms and YouTube and Facebook Live and and and, and online ministries, um, and so that shook up. The, the platform and, and, and I'll come back to that later on in this conversation but that shook up the platform and then we had this this shake up of our nation um, and I believe that that was all strategic um, understand this uh, there are things in life to, to those who, who are listening and are not believers who question how could God let bad things happen to good people uh, understand that uh, God doesn't necessarily issue bad things to good people, uh, but he allowed things to happen to show himself magnified through our response. And so I believe these two things, these two parallel activities that are, ta- that are taking place uh, are strategic to get the church out of its four walls um, and to get the church to react to where the people who need the church the most, as opposed to becoming a um uh, a, a centralized click of you got to come to mm-hmm. where I'm at uh, and God is saying hey where where you want people to come to you I'm going to make you go to them I'm going to make you go to them yes 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 to your point I think that one had to happen for the other I think that it was because we were at a time like you said this pandemic it 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 caused us to have to be 
to shelter in place, to quarantine, um, to be at home mm-hmm. and to be still. I feel like if this had not happened, perhaps these protests and this cultural shift, because that's what it that's what mm-hmm. it is ultimately, would have would have been different. I felt like one had to happen in order for the other. I feel like it might not have ignited or erupted the way it did had we not been you know in the midst of the I agree pandemic. I agree 100 percent because we've we've already seen it we, we've seen this story play out a thousand times and never once has it got this attention right. that we have now exactly exactly and you know I think that your words will bring some sort of peace and comfort to believers who are struggling because as believers you you do you say well god like why here we are again and again and over and over again and why does this keep happening like you said you know why is god allowing this to happen why is he permitting this to happen and it's because he is going to show up and show out is so that he may be magnified and so you know nothing new like you said nothing new under the sun i was um pulling some scriptures earlier today um because you know, like we're I'm still sheltering <laughs> in place. I'm not ready to go outside, so I'm still doing right. Amen to that. <laughs> um, but one of the scriptures that came up was Luke mm-hmm. four and eighteen, and it says the spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach the good right. news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim deliverance to the captives and to recovery of sight to the blind and to release the right. oppressed. To, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and for some reason I was like you know it's so crazy to me how we're saying that you know 2020 you know everyone's been looking forward to 2020 right like this has been the right. year that everyone was looking this you know it's we're going into a new decade we're going into 2020 this is the year we've been proclaiming it and then it started off just really crazy with all of these things happening but I believe that it's all a part of the plan of what's getting Amen. ready to come I, I, I believe it's all a part. I, I, I honestly believe that um, and you know I always feel that you know we never want to lose people that mm-hmm. that's hard you know we don't we don't want to see people die we don't want to see people get sick we don't want to see people get ill um but there's a time for everything you know the bible tells us that as well and i believe that you know sometimes when these things happen it's because something else greater is getting ready to come right. out of all of this and, and and i would i would also argue to to piggyback that um you know historically when you when you look at at, at scripture and the bible whenever god was about to do a major strategic change uh, those who he was about to use to make that change, he isolated them. Um, he put them in, in what, what one may call a quarantine, uh, and in order to, usually in order to speak, right. (laughs) And, and with clarity. Um, and so, you know, it, it is, it is very systematic. Uh, God is very strategic in his behaviors. Uh, I, I must get you isolated so that I could speak to you. Um, so that your mind is not polluted with foolishness. Um, the, the other thing that, that has been heavy on my spirit in this season um, is the fact, uh, you know, when, when you look at scripture, I, I believe it's in Matthew uh, where uh, the disciples are, are, are trailing behind Christ and they're, they're, they're conversing amongst themselves. And, and the conversation that they're having is, is who's going to be uh, the first. 
um, and Jesus uh, made some mention to him that, that really busted Peter's bubble um, because he said the last shall be first and the first uh, shall be the last. last. Shall be first the uh, first what's shall interesting be last. about that um, and once again, uh, listeners, I'm, I'm not throwing darts at, at anybody. Do not take uh, my words the wrong way or misconstrue them. Um, but I do believe that the mere fact that we're not able to worship in our buildings. Um, if I was at church, I'd start telling y'all to start shouting um, <laughs> because I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go in right <laughs> here. Uh, but the mere fact that your building uh, can no longer be open. Um, it signifies the pedestal that we've allowed pastors to sit upon based upon the size of their mm. building. Um, right now, it don't matter how yes. much uh, your sanctuary hold. It, it, it don't matter how big your building is. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter how big your worship and arts department is. Uh, what matters right now is are you preaching God's word? Period. Point blank. Um and, and, and I, and I hear it. God saying, I, I'm going to pull your pedestal from underneath you because I never placed your foot on that pedestal to begin with. Um, and shame on you for allowing somebody else to put your feet on those pedestals that your feet was never ordained to walk upon. So he, he, he is once again, I'm going to move you from asking people to come to where you are and I'm going to force you to go to where they are. To go to where they are. Yes. And I'll, I'll just add one one more little slice of pizza that just the cherry on top is that, you know, we as believers, because you definitely address, you know, the pulpit and the pastors, but even we as believers, you know, we stopped mm-hmm. having church at home. We forgot that, you know, our home should be our sanctuary. We forgot Amen. to bring God home with us. And so a lot of us were only going into... A lot of us will only see right. God on Sundays in church. So now we are not forced to, but God has put us into a place where he says, I'm coming into your home because if you want to have church, you're going to have to ch- have church right, right here in your house with your family. So that so that, that spouse down the hall or that child that you know was not going to church, now you can bring church right here to the house. We have to become shepherds of our own house. We have to bring church back into our homes. We have to bring fellowship back into our homes with our families. I believe that it was a purpose for us to be quarantined at home with our families, mm-hmm. for us to be still, for us to have all distractions removed so that we can hear from God clearly without the distractions of everything amen. else that was going on around us. <laughs> amen, amen. So, <laughs> we about to have a whole service up here. <laughs> so, um, as we're talking about, of course, you know, the movement and, and what's happening um, with the, I guess you would say, the social crisis, that's what they're mm-hmm. calling it, the social crisis or the rally for justice and, and those things. Um, as we spoke a little while ago about how mm-hmm. the civil rights movement um, back in the 60s and how the church was pretty much like at the forefront of the movement. The church was the, you know, ground zero for where they strategized and where they, mm-hmm. you know, organized and, you know, our spiritual leaders were on the forefront. Of course, we know of Dr. King, but there were several other mm-hmm. leaders that were out there as well alongside him and in this movement. And it seems mm-hmm. like over the years, the church has mm-hmm. kind of fallen silent on things that were happening mm-hmm. within the community. Um, they fell silent on things that were happening even from a political standpoint and 
Some would say that, um, you know, a lot of it had to do with the 5013C status that they were given, that that silenced the church. And, you know, I've heard all sorts of different, um, you know, theories as into why, but I would just say that overall, it seemed like, mm-hmm. I don't know if we got comfortable. I don't know if we just became passive, but we as the body of believers, not just the church building, but we as a body of believers have gotten way Mm -hmm. too quiet and have not been at the forefront of this movement. So what's your thoughts on it? That's a loaded question. (laughs) No, it's it's a good question. Um, I'm I'm going to address it in in two phases. Uh, First and foremost, uh, first phase, you know, the civil rights movement uh, of the 1950s and 60s uh, was orchestrated and uh, was was really, to your point, uh, had a had a stronghold on the black church in particular um, because it was our centralized location to commune together. Um, the black church was at the at the at the cornerstone of the black community, um, meaning it, it was the place on Sunday where the the black doctors the black lawyers uh the black seamstress uh the the black mailman the the black bus driver everybody came to the church it it was the place where titles were left at the door um and we came in and we worshiped um you know i think that the difference between there and now though is that many of our churches have congregants who don't even live uh, in the neighborhoods in which the church sits, um, you know, it, it, once hmm. again, this is this is why it's very interesting when politicians come to the church um, that you're preaching to a, com- a a congregation that don't even occupy the county and or the district um, in which the physical building sits in. We have gotten to a point now where people um, congregates um, follow a particular pastor. Um, and so there are individuals who are willing to drive 30 and 40 minutes across town um, to to be a part of a ministry that aligns with their their personal beliefs and the oracles of that pastor. And so with that, it also comes with a sense of uh, I'm not connected to this community, uh, which is very important. The other mm-hmm. portion uh, regarding the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s and where we are now is that the 50s and 60s did not have uh, the internet and the technology that we have. You know, one of the brilliant things that I recognize uh, over the last week and a half of watching the protests is that a city can have three or four protests going on simultaneously. Um, and and this communication and the, the ways of knowing where these protests are taking place a lot of it is being done on social media. Therefore, I don't need to come to the church in order to get direction. I can log on to my phone and find direction from there. So so that's the part from a, a physical standpoint. Um, now, let's talk about the, the systematic uh, portion of uh, why the church is not at the forefront um, of this movement, which is, I, I think, was part B of your question. Um, every revolution Mm -hmm. um every protest um is moved by young people um when we say young people i'm talking demographics of 18 really to 25. Uh, the truth of the matter is the black church in particular 
um, has missed the mark in being able to relate to that age group. Uh, when you talk about Generation Z wow. as well as millennials, um, the church has not done a good job of attracting them and being able to retain their attention. Uh, we've tried everything from 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 gimmicks of uh, <laughs> uh, challenges on social media uh, to to changing our, <laughs> our our worship centers to look more like stages and concerts. Um, to big screens and productions. Uh, we, we've tried every gimmick under the book. Um, but the truth of the matter is that generation in particular, I call it the information generations. Um, they're more concerned with the truth than you trying to gimmick me. Um, they ain't looking for no lights, glamour and glitz. They want to hear the authentic word of God and then they want to see it in action. Um, if, if you're going to preach it to me, I need you to I need to see you walk it out. I need you to show me how to walk this thing out. And I believe personally, this is my personal belief that the church has not done a good job of doing both. Either we preach it and we don't act it um, or we gimmick them to the point that they read through the lines and say, hey, man, uh, the church looking too much like the club. Uh, so so if I go to the club on Saturday wow. night, wow. um, I can't feel good about myself if I go in here on Sunday and it, it, I'm seeing the same people I was in the club with and they, they trying to tempt me just like the, the club was, uh, you know what I mean? And so they're looking for something different. Um, and I and, and I just don't think that we've given them that. Um, but to, in order to, to, to move the, the progress, the church is going to have to be become relevant with that. I, I think right now. Um, you know, when you look at the protests and the church and out there is because they don't know how to they haven't mentored that group. Um, they're disconnected with, with that generation. And so, um, you know, how do you how do you go and correct a behavior and you don't have a relationship with that person? Um, it is it is very difficult if just for example, if, if I wasn't a part of my son's life and I show up today and, and try to tell him, hey, man. Uh, you don't need to be doing that. You need to be doing this. The first thing out of his mouth is going to be, who is you? Um, and what and what gives you the authority right. to tell me that I'm doing something wrong? Uh, you know, you want to get in line and build a relationship with me um, so that I can build trust with you before you reprimand me for doing something out of order. And I, I believe that is part of the reason why the church has been so reluctant um, to be at the forefront is because heck in order in order to induce the change you need these young people but you haven't been a part of these young people's lives to even have a rapport with them wow <laughs> wow i you you when i say you broke that thing down you broke that thing all the way down yes i wholeheartedly agree with you um, there's a disconnect and that disconnect is what is stagnating is. the movement because like you said you know young people are and we spoke about this at the beginning of this um, interview is that young people are going to be the ones to you know to make this movement happen to invoke the change and you know young people don't mm-hmm. believe in the church they have really have completely shut off from the church and i didn't even think about it from that perspective when you 
spoke about how because you have noticed the shift in churches and their approach and, and the things that they're doing. I mean, we noticed first that you know they they they've done away with the Sunday mm-hmm. best attire. It's, it's come as you are, and that's been in place for quite some time. And I must say that I do appreciate that because it does make it more inclusive. But to your point, mm-hmm. the things like turning it into a show and all of these bells and whistles mm-hmm. and turning it into a production, I didn't even think about the idea that that was, you know, with the intent on targeting the and, millennials. And and not to cut you off, but and, what's critical about that is that would have worked for our generation. You understand what I'm saying? And in order to reach a generation, they have to be a part of your team. Right. One of the things that I, I, you know, I'm I'm a youth pastor. One of the things that I I, I try my hardest to engage is my teens to tell me what is it that y'all want? Because if if y'all don't tell me what's going to happen, it's going to be a a bunch of 40 year olds sitting in a room thinking about what some teenagers want to do. And I can guarantee you we're going to miss the mark every single time. And so now what do you have in the church is Generation X sitting on the leadership team saying hey let's try this because it would have been something that would have been appealing to us when we was 25 um because the church wasn't doing that but you're missing the mark you got to bring the 18 year olds the 23 year olds the 25 year olds on your team and be able to give them a voice the same thing that that our country is guilty of of not listening the church has also been guilty of of not listening Wow. And that is the place where they're wow. supposed to be able to be as free as possible and as open and candid as possible. But once again, the church has created this box to say, hey, you got to fit into this. We've stretched a little bit, and but we still want you to fit in to this mode. It is the same reason that talking about uh, homosexuality is still taboo in the church. Uh, look, let's take the let's take the reins off and have a conversation. Uh I'd rather have the conversation than everybody sitting in the congregation nervous around can we or can we not address the issue that that's that, that's part of the reason young right. people are looking so hypocritical at the church and say hey man y'all 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 just ain't y'all ain't open to anything right like you said we're we're talking it but we're not walking it and we think that we're doing something different because we remember how we felt when the older saints used to treat us. So we'll say, well, we're not like that. We're more open. We're more aware. We're more connected to them. But in actuality, we're not. We've just created our own box by our own limitations and our own ways of thinking. So we're pretty much as guilty as the older saints that used to judge us the same way. So we say, well, back in our day, you had to dress up to come to right. church. We don't make y'all get dressed up anymore. So we think that's us you it know, is. Um, opening up to them, but it isn't. And, <laughs> and to your point, this generation is different. This generation is a generation of just give me mm-hmm. black, tr- I don't, I don't, don't sugarcoat it for me. Just give it to me and give it to right. me quick because my attention span is short because it's right. Sunday fun day and I want to get to brunch and I want to go hang with my girls and I want to go do whatever. So right. you need to just cut the, cut to the chase. Give me the word. Show me how I can apply it. <laughs> Don't use all of these um, old King James words that I'm not going to understand right. and I'm not going to be able to relate to. We have to figure yeah. out how to 
reconnect with the younger ones coming up behind us. And like you right. said, by hearing from them, because it drives me crazy. I work in R&D. And one of the things that drives me crazy about working in research and development is that rather than us go to the customer and mm-hmm. say, hey, what is it that you want? We turn around and we try to figure out what right. the customer wants and then take it to them. And then they say, oh, I don't want that. And then we have to go mm-hmm. back to the drawing board. To me, that's a waste of time. Just tell me what it is that you want. And then I will create it based on what you're saying that you want or what you need instead of me trying to figure it out and doing trial and error with you until we finally come to a, you know, a, into a, a mutual decision. And I think that's exactly what's happening with the church now that you put it from that perspective is that they don't know how to connect mm-hmm. to the younger generation. And that is why they're lost. And that is why they're finding all of these other, um, these other spirituality and these other areas because they feel like those speak to more of who they are. You know, I'm going to go be a Buddhist. I'm going to go be, you know, um, whatever the religion is, um, because they feel like that's easier or they can relate to that more. They're just kind of pick and choose what works for, from those different factions right and, and even and you know and, and I'm, I'm gonna leave it alone here even when we looked at dr king in the 50s and 60s he was picked right um his mentor was, was benjamin e mays he, benjamin e mays was the 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 mastermind behind the civil rights movement he was the big brother he was the father um mlk was the son but what benjamin e mays understood was that my time of effectiveness is gone uh i can't be the person out front because these young people that's gonna make the move they ain't following grandpa they need a young person out there and so that's why ml king was the 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 focal point um and he was the oracle because he possessed what the young people could relate to um and so it's the same where we are now is that you have to push your young people out there in front but you got to give them the education and you got to give them the freedom to be who they are. That's absolutely right. Um, When you think about it, um, it's even with Mm -hmm. the leaders that we have today with now. And and that's where I, you know, we had Mm -hmm. at one point, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, um, just to mm-hmm. throw out a couple there was several of them but their time has come and passed you know right. I look at John Lewis and John Lewis is still out there he's still fighting he's still fighting the good fight he's still you know he's still trying to be on the front lines retire Lewis, he needs to be able to relax retire this You're man right. has been fighting his entire life we've seen John from young to old and now he's fighting for fighting his life right. you know, battling cancer hopefully beating it but someone he needs to be able to pass the right. baton on to the next generation, to the right. ones that's going to be able to continue this fight, um, because you know we have reverence for him and we understand who he is. But someone that's twenty years old, he, he just looks like grandpa, so they might not understand who he is and what he's done, and the difference right. that he's made, and they they can't relate to him. So to your point, yes, we need leaders. We need leadership of young people. Um, who we can pass the baton on to, like I said in the beginning, passing our wisdom, our knowledge, our, and all of that, because I, I believe that, you know, there's definitely mm-hmm. some gems that can be pulled from 
our seniors and from our elders they have a, a plethora mm-hmm. of things that they did that worked and was effective and we might not be able to use all of those things right exactly i we agree we should never forget those things all right so we kind of touched on this already but um i guess i'll ask you anyway in case there's anything that we missed um what what suggestions um do you have right now um for the church the community um as well as um, like law enforcement for us to be able to i think first and foremost change. uh unity um and, and and what i mean by that is it's time out for titles um it's time out for well, who's gonna lead it right um specifically uh in the african-american church um you know, it, it baffles me how many churches, uh, and I'm going to use this analogy. Uh, in my area, there are, I can think of three churches in particular, um, who congregation is over 2,000 apiece. Each one of these, excuse me, each one of these churches has a school and or academy attached to their church. None of their academies or school go past the fifth grade. Um, in addition to that, um, most, of, most of their class sizes, due to the restriction of resources and space, um, are limited about to about 10 kids per class. Um, how beautiful would it be? Now, keep in mind, these are all Christian churches. They're all predominantly black. Um, how, how, how beautiful would it be I know where you're if going. those three <laughs> churches said, instead of struggling alone, why don't we pull our resources together? make one school that goes from kindergarten to eighth grade combined um, so that we can feed the community. Um, The issue with that is in order to do that, I have to take my name um, off of the header of being over the church. So when I say unity, um, we got to get to a point where there ain't no big eyes and little U's Um, because without it, then we all going to be marching around doing our own thing with our own agenda. So I think first and foremost, uh, the African-American community, the African-American church has to find unity in the body of Christ that, hey, I don't care who gets the credit. I just want to see the results. Um, Second thing um, that I think once we get unity and unified is that we need uh, no more than three uh, objectives. Um, And with those, they need to serve the poorest of the poor in our communities. Uh, one being resources for our education. Um, the black community in particular is disproportionately funded when it comes to education. Um, and that is unacceptable. We, we cannot talk about reformations um, and being able to go to the next level if education is not at the forefront of that. Um, secondly, we have to address police brutality. Um, and thirdly, um, and, I, and these are, you know, in no particular order, I think they're all serve, serve importance. Um, but we also have sure. to um, speak to the disparity in pay, not only for African-Americans, but for women as well. Um, it, it, it has to get to a point where there is an equal playing field when it comes to pay. Um, you know, it, it, those are things that are, are detrimentally hurting our community, in particular, uh, the African-American community where we have to level the playing field. And, and, and once those agendas are, are, are created, we gotta push for that. 
And we got to hold out and say, hey, not another politician coming into our community campaigning for us until you can agree to meet our needs. Uh, the issue is, is that everybody got different needs. Um, and, you know, just because I'm middle class, um, I'm worried about my middle class rights. Um, and then there's some of us who have excelled into the upper epsilon and we worried about our tax break. No, it can't. It cannot be about me. It has mm -hmm. to be about the least of my brother. Right. It, it, I have to look at who is the who is the most um, the, the one who was put out the most on my team. And I got to find out how to make him even with everybody else. And I have to fight for him. Mine will come just by helping him. And I think that's where we miss the mark is because we get into this teeter totter where, ah, oh, well, I'm going to select this person because they're going to help me. Listen, man, you already got one leg up in the game. Um, gratefully, you know, my, my parents were able to send me to college. I got a bachelor's degree. I got a master's degree. But how can I aspire to have more when my brother over here barely got a GED? Um, I got to be able to get him up to the point where he can make a sufficient living for him and his family. So it's not pulling on me and the rest of the economy. I got to make sure that he's taken care of. And I think that's where the church has to start preaching is that we're not good until all of us is good. Um, now, with that, keep in mind, there's going to be individuals who's going to reject it just because of their own ignorance. And that's fine. We can't wait on that. But the church and the preachers, the, the, the prophets came when God sent the prophets. He sent the prophets to to correct and to take care of the widows and the children. If we are not preaching for those who don't have a voice, we're just up there running our mouths. Um, and therefore, the church is irrelevant at that point. If we're not going to take care of the poor, the widows and the children. Um, and that, and that's that's basic. That's just basic, you know, Christian principles. And anybody that can't get with that, you got to question yourself if you're really a Christian or not. <laughs> All right. Elder Jason Dawson. For city council or for governor <laughs> you just laid it all out the whole point no but i mean you hit you hit on every single like aspect of what it's going to take to get us to the next level you know i mean and, and i and i say this not in a in a negative yeah. way but we are only as strong as our weakest link so we have to get to the root of that we like to you said we have to make sure that the person that needs it the most gets the help and it's about the greater good. It's not just about what you want and what you want. And I think that that's part of the, you know, what the issue is. I've been saying for the last two weeks that we've been protesting. Okay, we're protesting. We're protesting. We don't we know. We, now, we, 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 what are our because demands? right now, what is what is being called protesting is outward anger of expression. Um, and it's not unified and it doesn't have a specific goal. And when you don't have a specific goal, what you're doing is just expressing outwardly. And this is where the importance of the church and mentorship, as opposed to us as Generation X looking back and saying, why are they out there just tearing up and, and setting stuff on fire? This is the opportunity to corral them and say, now what? Because in a week or so, right, Joker's got to go back to work um, and start paying bills. And ain't got time to be out here 24-7 walking in the street. Right. Now what? Now what are you going to do? 
Uh, once we didn't say said now George what? Floyd's name as many times as our, our, our lips can can person to do. Now what? Because that's going to be the hard question back. What do y'all want? Okay, y'all out here every day knocking on my door. What do you want? And better yet, how do right. you want, how do we go about right. giving it to you? You know, as a manager, I tell my supervisors all the time, don't come at me with a problem that you haven't already thought of a solution for. If I got to think of the solution for you, this is a good indication that I don't need yep. you on my team. I hired you to be a solution solver not a problem getter and therefore the same thing is true with this movement is that wow. why y'all out here marching and i'm all for it but y'all also need to be unifying and coming together where there's silence for us to be able to talk negotiate and strategize here's what we want okay somebody in that group gotta ask now how do we go about getting it and that is the part where mentorship that's where the elders, and I'm not saying elders from a church standpoint, but the el those who have been where they have not been are important for them to help guide and say, hey, here's what we did. Not saying that you do it this way, but you need to consider this um, in your strategy. Like I said, right now, we got so many different movements. And when I turned on the TV and I was having this conversation with my wife the other day, the, the question is, who's leading this? You know, who, 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 once I get the attention of my right. governors, right, <laughs> my senators, who speaks on behalf of the people to say, here's what we collectively want. That is where all of this may hit a roadblock because eventually, okay, you didn't got the, you didn't got the eyes of everybody and they're going to ask you that hard question of, okay, now what do you want? And if California wants something different than LA, uh, than, than New York, and New York wants something different than Georgia, and Georgia wants something different from Tennessee, what we've created is another gumbo pot of chaos. It has to be strategic that it benefits the yep. least of us. Um, and, and without that direction, we're going to find ourselves four or five months from now starting this whole process over because we didn't get it right. And so that's my biggest prayer is that God, you send somebody um, that's in the midst of us to step forward and say, hey, I, I will be that person of voice. Um, and, but I have to hear from y'all to understand what it is that we want. And we got to do We cannot wait for politicians to tell us how they're going to get there. You got to go in there with your demands and the strategy mm -hmm. on how you want to see it. No, done. because. That's right, because. In all actuality, politicians should be waiting for exactly. us to tell them what I, we want so that they can go and get it for us. <laughs> so, like you said, it's about us unifying and figuring out, coming to a consensus of what are our demands and prioritizing those demands and then going forth with those. But we have mm -hmm. to take ourselves out the equation. We have to take out being selfish because, like you said, what, what you and your family may need may not necessarily be with the family you know right. in east point needs or the family that lives in the bluff needs and so we got to get down to what that family in the bluff needs right and that is what that's the agenda that gets pushed forward we have to get to a point where again we have identified what the goals are what the you know what the um the plan of action is to make it happen exactly and then go forth and say and i think that's where the church this is what uh, can be very instrumental um, it's bringing that organized um, 
you know, vision to, to place. Um, and prayerfully during this time, we will begin to, to, to make allies uh, with our young brothers and sisters is out there so that we, we can uh, have a good enough relationship to be able to be that mentor for them. I agree. I absolutely agree. I was mm -hmm. having, like I said, I, I've been having these discussions all week. And one of the things that we talked about, um, myself and um, the gentleman that I spoke with yesterday, mm -hmm was about, you know, organization. You know, we have to be able to organize and strategize before we can mobilize. And so you have some people that are good at organization. You have some people that are good with protesting. Right. It's about bringing it all together, making it all make sense. And until we're able to do that, you know, I, I, I think about, and I, I, I use them as an example all the time. Mm -hmm. the, the LBGTQ mm -hmm. community have made strides Mm -hmm. in their you know in, in in their movement and it's because regardless you have you know the one thing about them is mm -hmm. that they are different races different races different sexes whatever but they're able to come together right. and and have a common goal of this right. is what we're marching for this year we want this bathroom this year we it's right this year so this is what's going to be on the forefront of the agenda. This is what we're going to push. This is what we're going to lobby for. Mm -hmm. And we're going to come together. We're going to put our money together. We're going to put our resources together. We're going to put our right. connections together. And we're going to come together as one so that we can affect change together. And I feel like until we as a community or as a race are able to come together and do that, it is then that we will really be able mm -hmm. to affect change. But we have to be able to, like you said, put aside our personal um, wants and our titles and how much money we make and our status right. and all of that and say, hey, we're coming together as one body for this agenda. And even if we have to go one by one, this year we want to fight for police reform. This year we want to fight for hate crime legislation. This year we want to fight for judicial reform. And we want this specifically. We want to make sure that when police are out there, how they approach us, how are they arresting us? We want to make, we want to go through that, but right. we have to have a consensus about how we're doing that and tap one right. thing at a time. Because, like you said, we got marches all over the place, we got protests all over the place, Dif different leaders all over the place. Why? When really we all are marching for the same thing, which is just, you know, which is justice, or we're, we're marching against injustice, but we have to drill down to what it is exactly that we want. Otherwise, like you said, we'll be here six months from now. It'll be another black man or black woman killed. <laughs> right. And we'll be right exactly. Back we started from trying to figure this out again. Yep. So mm -hmm. I think that pretty much wraps it up. Oh, my last question okay. for you. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm um I'm tugging on your preacher robe here. <laughs> so if you had to preach a sermon on what's happening mm. right now, what would your three points be? Three points. Three points. Real quick. Um, to wrap, to scripture would be uh, Numbers uh, thirteen. Um, mm -hmm. It is. And actually, I, I preached a little bit on it this morning, not necessarily preached, but it was just a basis scripture for conversation. Um, and it is the scripture where Moses uh, and Aaron sends out representatives from the 12 tribes to go spy out the promised land. Um, and he sends out 12 individuals uh, for 40 days. Once again, that 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 40 days is, is 
<laughs> it's very symbolic. And that they 40, come back. That, that 40 and symbolic? As, as they're given a report, they confirm that the land is flowing with milk and honey. Um, the, the land is very fertile. Um, the fruits of the land are, are some of the best fruit that they've ever seen. Um, and then their conversation transitions and they say, um, mm-hmm. but uh, we saw we saw giants over there. Uh, we, we saw giants so big that in, even in our own eyesight, uh, we appeared as grasshoppers to them. Um, you know, it, it, it is very, very symbolic of where we are today. Um, you know, so that would be my scripture. Uh, I guess my title would be, uh, where are the Joshua and Caleb's? Um, and my points would be, um, you got to go anyway. Your promised is on the other side of adversity. And lastly, uh, claim what is yours. Um, those, those would probably be my three points. Um, and I would, I would, I would leave it. I would end my, my, my sermon with this quote, uh, from Dr. King. And Dr. King says this, this is, this is, a. Uh, taken out of a passage of his last book that he wrote before he was assassinated uh, which every listener uh, under the sound of my voice need to go out and get this book um, because it really speaks to where we are currently Um, it is from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. it is titled where do we go from here chaos or community Um, and the 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 quote that I want to leave you guys with and I would leave at the end of my sermon is this Uh, The great majority of Americans are suspended between these opposing attitudes. They are uneasy with injustice, but unwilling yet to pay the significant price to eradicate it. Um, Understand this. Every change in life, Mm. whether big or small, comes with a cost. Um, What's very imperative about that scripture that I gave you guys is that 10 people um, ignored the fact that that was the land that God promised them when he took them out of Egypt. And because they were not willing to give up what was comfortable for something that seemed like an obstacle in their way, they never received the promise. God was so infuriated with them that he said, nobody under that generation will walk into the promised land. And he made them wander around the desert aimlessly until all of them died off. Even Moses, uh, he said, you know, none of y'all going to make it in because y'all didn't trust me. Um, I understood that it was giants over there. It's giants in anything uh, in in the path of everything that God tell you to do. This is why your faith got to kick in. And you got to believe that beyond any shadow of my doubt, that if God said it, I'm going for it. And I'm going to have to put my faith in the works in order to receive the glory of God and the things that he's ordained for us. Listen, any preacher out there that's under the sound of my voice listening to this podcast, quit preaching to folks that all they got to do is pray and believe. Yes, you got to pray and you got to believe, but it's your belief that's going to put your behind in motion. You got to go out there and do something. God is looking for those who are ready to take action. I posted this on Facebook a couple weeks ago. 
uh, as soon as this took place because I knew some of my super saved folks was going to come out and say, well, we, this is a time that we need to be praying, uh, not only for the victim, uh, but we also got to be praying for them officers. And I wholeheartedly <laughs> believe that. Don't misconstrue my words. Do not take a sound bite out of this podcast and mess up what I'm saying. Well, I all, all wholeheartedly believe that. Um, also understand this. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they done. Here's what my post said. The father forgives, the son acts. Father. <laughs> we need to be in action. Pray, mm. forgive, make wow. sure your heart is pure, but be ready to fight. Um, those giants got to be destroyed. Um, and you got to be willing to face them giants in order for God to take those giants out. <laughs>